On this episode of the This Is Believe podcast, I welcome back Jordan Cohen of Real Browns fans because we're going to break down some Browns news that's happened over the past couple days. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? It is going great. Uh, you know, we both just got done watching some Premier League soccer, uh, but we're here to talk about the Browns today. Um. There was some news today, being Tuesday, uh, about Olivier Vernon and them redoing his contract. And some of the money, it seems like they may have been keeping uh, available in case they were going to go sign Jadavian Clowney, but it sounds like that and any talk about Everson Griffin's also off the table now, now that they've turned uh, Vernon's $15 million that was uh, not guaranteed into an $11 million guaranteed deal. Yeah, I mean, I jump in here, I guess, but I, I, I mean, I'd been on this podcast twice, right? Saying I am not sure that Clowney is that much better than Vernon in the first place. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think better, but he is more inconsistent and he's injured frequently. Vernon is probably the best run defender on the team, and given that I think our linebacker core is going to be not good. Oh, having a good having a guy that could actually set the edge, feel the edge is a really important thing. So I'm okay with that move. Like I'm I'm pretty good with this. It seems like it works well for all parties, and it also sets the Browns up if Vernon plays well to be in a, a position to sign him in free agency next year. Yeah, it definitely keeps their options open a little bit. Saves a little bit of money. Uh, I saw some people basically throwing a parade today because they renegotiated this deal. I'm like. They're going to save, like, at most a couple million dollars. Uh, what's the next move? That, that's what I'm, I'm waiting for. So it seems like maybe this is the precursor to another move. Maybe this makes uh, a Miles Garrett extension a little bit, more, little bit more easier to manage while you're trying to deal with some of the other players on the roster. Maybe it, it makes an opening to acquire somebody else. Maybe like a Jamal Adams or Yannick Ngakwe. Not saying that that's going to happen, but... Maybe it gives them that financial flexibility to improve the defense that really needs improvement. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think that's I, so. I think this can work in two ways. I, I don't know that four million is going to be enough to I trade for Jamal Adams or even like Malik Hooker type, who like in Hooker's case is due for a new contract, and Adams wants a new contract. But I, I think what it could be used for, I mean. $4 million is actually enough to get kind of a middle-of-the-road linebacker, like mm-hmm. a guy who'd be better than a lot of the guys we have playing, because it's just a really cheap position. Um, and it's kind of in line with the production value of that position, but it is So I think that's an option. I also think $4 million and sticking with Vernon rather than going for Clowney kind of speaks to the idea that we're about to re-sign Miles Garrett for, and make him the highest-paid edge defender mm-hmm. in arguably in the NFL. Um, and, and we've talked about that. I am not, I, I know they don't have a choice. I'm not sure I love paying an edge defender that much, but it is what it is. I mean, it's at some point you, they actually hit on a first round draft pick. It's, it's probably right. best to keep him in town because he's the first one they hit on in a, you know, a decade. So hundred oh, percent. No, again, I don't think they have a choice. They have to do it. I'm just, I won't be crazy about the salary cap ramifications, but they have to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you have to, that's, yeah. that's the price you pay for having good players. <laughs> you gotta pay. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so it's really interesting because a lot of the research done on like the NFL and why bad teams stay bad and good teams stay good it, it's not even that they don't draft well, though, in the Browns' case, that's been what it has been. Mm-hmm. It's that they hit on players and then can't put a team around them, but then they extend those players. So, like, yes. this is why people lauded the Raiders for trading Khalil Mack, right? Because mm-hmm. the idea is they're years and years away from being anything valuable. Better to trade him and not destroy your cap. Mm-hmm. I think the difference is, I, I think there is an argument to be made the Browns are. Even if they're not there yet, they're very close to being there, like a year away, right? And, and so to that end, I think extending miles is totally fine. If 
the only situation where I think you really regret that is if this season looks like last season Mm -hmm. and then you're stuck paying 25% of your cap to a guy that is not scoring points for you. Yeah, what you're trying to avoid is the pitfalls the Detroit Lions fell into uh, about 10 years ago where they had the majority of their money tied up in Stafford, Sue, and Calvin Johnson. While they're great players, the rest of the team was hot garbage. Exactly. Exactly. No, 100%. And so, but I, going back to the Vernon thing, right? I mean, I think this move makes sense from that point. Mm-hmm. Clowney clearly is not going to take a one year deal. He yeah. wants more than that. So if you give him an extension, then all of a sudden, and then you extend, or you give him like a two or three year deal, and then you extend Miles Garrett, all of a sudden you basically have no cap space next year. Yeah. So you can't replace anybody at the linebacker position. You can't sign another safety. You can't. I think inevitably replace one of the receivers. You can't really give Baker Chubb an extension, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand that. I mean, I, I'm not, I've not been a fan of signing Clowney. I think he's more uh, style than actual substance. He's more name recognition than production, uh, and he has a bad injury history. I, I don't know how his knees are still intact, but they are. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, and he's someone I would not spend money on just because he's literally the walking description of injury risk. Yeah, and like, again, Seattle used him really in a really interesting way last year that let him get pressures, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as an edge defender, and it wasn't really as a tackle. It was kind of like this guy who could play anywhere on the line, so they really used him to create mismatches. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't... I can't really conceptualize what the value of having that is, especially when Miles Garrett's on that right side. Right, yeah. he's going after the blind side. They're not moving Miles Garrett around. Mm-hmm. So I really don't know what a what like that position for the Browns. If you have a guy like Miles Garrett, I think you spend as little as possible on the other edge position. And I think Vernon probably does for the money you're paying him more than Clowney would for the money you're paying him. So, but to your point, it, now it depends what they do with it. Yeah, I, just, gonna do- I, I want to see that next move. I, I, you know, the Miles Garrett extension that's going to happen, but I want to see some Miles Garrett extension and something. You know, because that defense is the it's it's not great. They have a lot of guys on one year deals. Uh, we know that there's going to be some turnover on the roster with guys that have high contracts, if not next year, the year after. So, it, with all this salary cap, I think right now is the time to kind of maybe take on some of the guys who cost a little bit more money because you have a ton of cap room and stuff to begin with. So the way I see it is you're going to move yeah. on from guys and you have flexibility there. You can you can take on money now because you're going to end up getting rid of other guys later. It, it's about... It's not but about... then that has to be in plans, right? Like... Yeah. I, it, I mean, if you get sign a guy to a $50 million a year contract, then that means not only are you letting go of Odell, but you're definitely letting go of Jarvis, too. Mm-hmm. Then you have no receivers. And then the question is, well, do you re-sign Chubb? Um, and all of a sudden, I mean, you have what's probably a very good defense with at best what becomes a solid, like a good quarterback. I, I don't think Baker's ever going to be more than like a Kirk Cousins. And I really like Kirk Cousins. So I, I think Kirk Cousins is like 11th to 12th best starter in the NFL. Um, so that's kind of what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. I don't think Baker's ever been better than that. And all of a sudden, like, you have him with no weapons or very few weapons and a really good defense. That just scares me because I don't think he's Tom Brady. I don't think he's Drew Brees. Yeah, that's a that's a legitimate pro- that's a legitimate thing to think about. The, the way I'm thinking is that I feel that this version of the team with some of the, the age of some of the guys they have now, production levels, where they're at as a group – for this team, their window is very short. You might as well give it a go and see if they can actually do something. Worry about the money later. Worry about all this stuff because they have the room. They, ha- I mean, I think they have the most cap room now. I mean, as much as everyone is you know, praising that, and I understand it's before the Miles Garrett extension, which is the only extension I'm worrying about at this moment in time, you can... You can figure that other stuff out later because so, I'm not really worried about those other guys right now. The Browns have 38 million, which sounds like a lot, um, 
And this is why I'm totally in favor of signing like a one-year deal, right? If you want to pay a lot of money on a one-year deal, go for it. Um, I'm totally good with that. Mm-hmm. My concern is after the Miles Garrett extension, that $38 million is going to be about $15 million. Okay. Um, and once you have $15 million, then you really, like, then basically between Denzel Ward, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham, and Jarvis Landry, you're keeping one, maybe two of them. Um, I, I just, I think it, I, I would be very wary of giving any more long-term deals um, because I, I think even at best out of the six guys, so the five I just mentioned and Miles, you're probably at best keeping three of them. Um, and, and I mean, I, we talked about this last time. I think we both mm-hmm. think the three more likely than not are going to be Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett, and Baker Mayfield. Obviously things can change if Baker performs poorly it'll probably be Denzel Ward instead of Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, like, I think we agree with that. So my concern, if you give another long-term contract, then all of a sudden that three becomes two. And then you're in big trouble. So I agree with I you. Mean, they need to spend money on somebody. Yeah. For whether it's a short-term deal and a lot of money or a long-term deal and less money, mm-hmm. I'm good with either. But it, they got to pick one. Yeah, they just, I, I feel they have room to do it now. I, yeah. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to act just like fuck it. Spend money, but at the same time, I'm like fuck it. Spend money. Uh, you have a, what could be a good offense if things go right, and a, a defense that's like Swiss cheese. So, improve the defense is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean it's tough, right? Because I don't think even with the best signings, like out of so like let's say you get Jamal Adams and Jadavian Clowney or or Everson Griffin, one of the two. Right. Let's, let's just say let's just say with Jamal Adams. Let's just do just Jamal Adams. Keep it simple. Sure, sure. Just Jamal Adams. I still think this defense sucks. Safety room is better. Mm-hmm. We're probably better in the pass game, but like, I don't think Jamal Adams helps you much against the Ravens. I don't think Jamal Adams helps you much against really any team that's going to run the ball a lot. We have a we face a few of those guys. We, we um, do, and, uh, and and yeah. Continue. I'll, I'll I'll come back when you're done. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, it's a question. I'm not disagreeing with you on this point. I, to me, it's like, what is the opportunity cost to helping the defense rather than doing something like getting a right guard like the um, Klein from the Vikings, mm-hmm. who was a really good player last season, got hurt, wanted a new deal, and the Vikings cut him? Like, what is the value in getting a Jamal Adams for three years over a Klein for this season? I don't really know. Like, it's tough. And I know that sounds ridiculous, right? It's a mm-hmm. right guard who is not a pro bowler. But, like, I mean, I don't know if any right guard we're starting is going to be in the top half of the NFL right guard. Uh, th- they <laughs> Right. And so, so I think it's, I, I, it depends who they can get and for what money, I, mean, I think is what I'd settle on. The reason why I've been essentially, you know, in a way, pounding the table for Jamal Adams is that uh, this particular organization, this particular regime, does not value linebackers. And this is exactly what uh, Andrew Berry learned when he was in Philly. And they didn't value linebackers either. So not valuing linebackers isn't going to be like a one-year thing. It's going to be something where that's how they're going to run their organization. So if you can get a safety, get some improved secondary players, I mean, their defensive line isn't necessarily a weakness. It's not like the super strength, but it's not a weakness either. And they're not going to improve the linebackers, improve the safeties. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the ultimate goal, if if you're right, and I think you probably are, that Andrew Barry is taking all of his experiences, and there have been a lot, but they all have one thing in common, which is you very much build from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And like, if you looked at Philly, even the year they won the Super Bowl, they had an unbelievable defensive line. They ended up with solid linebackers, but I think those linebackers were solid more because the defensive line was just dominant mm-hmm. and because the cornerbacks at that point were fine. They weren't great, but they were fine. They did their job. It was not in the, amongst the elite, elite defenses, but it did its job mainly because Fletcher Cox is a monster. Yeah, um, and, and Brandon and, Graham was awesome off, off yeah. the edge. Yeah, no, I mean, like, that defensive line was incredible. And I and I actually think you could look at that team um, 
and, and see where what Andrew Barry would value. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's clear, right? Like you get Baker on a deal that is like okay. To be completely honest, I don't think Carson Wentz is, has shown substantially more than Baker. He had one amazing season, but outside of that, he he has never had a season as bad as Baker's was last year. But like. He, again, is like one of these guys that's uh, any given year between the 10th and 15th best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, um, you know, maybe it, maybe he'll dip his toes into the, maybe the 7th area, like one season, it, but he'll he'll go back into that, around that 10th spot. Yeah, it, he'll never be like a Matt Ryan, which I consider like the tier above that, mm-hmm. who like Matt Ryan has had, obviously the MVP year, but he's had other seasons where he has just, just have been a bad team, but nothing to do with Matt Ryan. Like he's played incredibly um, I, I don't think Carson is in that tier. And I think, like, the Eagles kind of like that mm-hmm. because it gives the Eagles money to build elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, like, if you look at PFF, they say, oh, running game doesn't matter, running game doesn't matter. When I look at the teams that have the biggest kind of analytics offices, I think the Eagles, I think the Rams. And both of those teams have invested. And the 49ers, too, are adding people. The Ravens mm-hmm. are another one. All those teams should prioritize the run game. So I, I think there is something that publicly hasn't been out, hasn't been made available. I don't know if it's the type of play or, or what they're finding, but there's clearly a difference there. And the funny thing, though, is they don't value defending the run, or at least they don't value defending the run past kind of line of scrimmage. Yeah, They're going to be really good at line of scrimmage if it gets past. It's too bad, which is interesting. I don't know what to make of it. I think there's uh, some bit of maybe intentional, maybe unintentional um, just trying to downplay something that's so old school and traditionally football guy type because that's what running the ball, running the football is. It's football guy football. And whether they're doing it intentionally or not, they're trying to distance themselves from that. So by maybe you know, downplaying the running game or the effectiveness of the, the effectiveness of the running game or running backs in general, it's a way to distance themselves from, you know, the football guy that many despise. But I don't know if these teams are, right? I mean, the Eagles have not paid a lot to a running back, but in large part that's because they have not had a running back worth paying a lot of money to. Um, they still have a good running game, and, like, all those other teams run the ball really well. And so it's just tough for me, right? Like, the Rams made Todd Gurley the highest-paid running back in the NFL. Obviously, he had a bad season this year, and they cut him, mm-hmm. but he did that, right? The Ravens, are, literally their entire offense is predicated on the running game. Yeah. Um, which is, so, And I think the Browns are doing that, too, but I think what it may be is this kind of theory. If you could get it, if you can run it past the line of scrimmage, that's a positive play. If you can't, it's not. And so I think that may be where it's going. But, like, I don't really know. This front office has been weird because the things I thought they would prioritize, to some extent, they really did, like, in a way that was completely unsurprising to me, and especially with draft picks. Mm-hmm. But in terms of some of the positions they focus a lot of their energy on, they haven't. Mm-hmm. It, it's, and that's, like... It's been interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, and... On one end, that makes me think maybe I'm just an idiot because these guys are all really smart, which is probably true. Um, <laughs> but it also makes me wonder if they actually have a plan. And that I don't know. I don't know what their plan is. Uh, I wish I could tell you what their plan is. If you listen to them talk, they talk in circles and tell you that they have a plan and that they're all aligned and it's all one vision, but they give you no substance into exactly what that is. Maybe that's their plan is to tell you nothing. And, uh, it's to like d- how it was then. I mean, it's just that's one of the more annoying things that I, I've ex- yeah. you know that I've I vocalized many times. I'm like, you're talking but not saying anything. Uh, is essentially by complaint, and that's that. That goes from you know Haslam, that goes to Deep Podesta, Barry, everybody. That's just like fucking say something. Yeah, you know what I mean. If you win, yeah, if you win, nobody cares. But when you're not winning, it's just obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And these guys maybe end up winning, but they haven't yet. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of obnoxious. I mean, it was obnoxious when Dorsey did it too. I thought Dorsey at least was a little bit more entertaining when he said nothing. 
Not that that means it was better or worse, but like he was kind of funny. Um, he was at least more animated. No, I, yeah, I agree with you. And like, I actually thought last summer Dorsey kind of had earned a little bit of that saying nothing. Mm-hmm. Like he was successful in Kansas City, and that first year here was an incredible improvement. Yeah. So I think he kind of earned it, but it was frustrating mid-season when we were playing terrible, and mm-hmm. he still was saying nothing. Yeah. It, it, it all depends on what the team's doing. And yeah. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately for these new people that are in charge, uh, they haven't played anything yet. <laughs> and so I guess kind of the stink of you know the team's failure last season is kind of uh, falling into their saying nothingness, so it just it kind of gets a little annoying. Yep. And and speaking yep, and speaking of plans, uh, we discussed this previously uh, at least once, and that would be uh, David Njoku. Uh, he wants out. Um, we were both confused when they uh, picked up the fifth year option. Uh, I have gone on to say that was a mistake now since Ninjoku wants out and apparently he's wanted out for a year. So uh, what's your take on this? I, I feel like if there, if there was a first mistake that they've made, it was picking up the option on Ninjoku and now this is essentially Andrew Berry's first test in dealing what could be a, a culture problem in the locker room. Yeah, I mean, they're going to do what they did with Duke Johnson last year. I would bet a lot of money... The problem is there's not going to be, and we're going to talk about this in a bit, but there's not going to be a season. Um, but I think that's going to be the plan. They're going to wait. Um, some team, like, there's going to be either a team that is young without really any need to worry about competing right now. Uh, best example I could give is like Miami Dolphins, right? Who will be probably a solid team, like 5'11", 6'10"-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're not really competing to win anything. There's going to be some team like that that ends up thinking they need a tight end. If the Browns get a fifth round pick for a guy that was going to be a glorified backup, mm-hmm. it's a win. Um, now they got to do it though, and that doesn't mean it's going to be hard because this isn't a situation yet where, like, from everything I read, it seems like Najoku still will report to whatever camp there mm-hmm. is. Um, and, and so it sounds like he's going to be a willing participant as long as he gets trade, as long as they are working on trading him. Um, and, and again, I, I still think the plan more likely than not was probably to trade him anyways. Mm-hmm. And he may be trying to get ahead of that by demanding a trade publicly. So, right. Because it looks bad if they just trade this guy, they extended and used a first round pick on. It looks bad for him. Right, like he didn't live up to anything. It looks much better for him now if he's the one demanding the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, we've talked about it, Njoku, and you're right, right? Najoku's not that good. I mean, I've been on the I don't want to say anti Najoku train, but I'm I've been on the uh, the this guy's this guy kind of stinks train for I- at least a year now. I mean. I, I've put it this way multiple times. Uh, he came in as a prospect who was raw, he was big, he was physical, he was athletic. Three years in, he's still a prospect that's raw, that's big, that athletic, and needed development. So, I mean, at some point you have to do something. Yeah. I, I mean, th- that front office, I think, was just... I, I don't... I, well, I, I know what they were doing, and that's what's frustrating, right? That Basically, they were seeing what the Eagles did that year with tight ends. They saw what the Patriots had been doing with Gronk for a decade. Mm-hmm. And said, well, if we could get kind of one of those big, physical tight ends. Doesn't even need to be a great blocker. Just needs to be an athlete that's a mismatch. Yeah. So they reached on this kid. Um, and and it's, everything I've read, Njoku seems like a great guy. But it, he was a reach. And it, it was a reach that failed. And now they have to figure out a way to make up for that and I, I mean again I hope fourth fifth round pick goodbye I, I'd be ecstatic for a fourth or fifth round pick because uh, let's be honest he has like little to no value um, yep. he, and a, a lot of people I guess don't necessarily 
pay attention to everything. They just look at, you know, as long as it's catch numbers and his drops and games is this. Uh, I, I don't know if you follow Jake Burns at all, but he was like, he dropped passes in practice all the time. And it wasn't just like difficult things. It was like routine catches that he's supposed to be making. And I, I think that's the difference between someone who covers the team and someone who covers the NFL at large, I guess. Because the perception yeah. of, of David Njoku, you know, nationwide is much, much different than the perception of Njoku locally and, you know, people that actually pay attention. I mean, the dude can't catch. And I I, I, I don't know if you saw this all-time bad take from uh, Ian Kenyon. Uh, He he quote-tweeted M. Schefter saying, uh, when David Njoku requested a trade, saying, given Austin Hooper 40 million so the superior tight end can demand a trade is so Browns. And I'm like, in what world is David Njoku a superior tight end to anybody? I don't even love Austin Hooper, but like Ninjoku is not a good, he's not a good tight end right now, right? And it, again, the signing of Austin Hooper and then the drafting of Bryant made me think that this was always kind of in the plans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, it, I, I just personally don't really think there's much value. Andy Benoit was on 923. When I was listening, so he used to work for Sports Illustrated. Mm-hmm. I guess he kind of still does, but like I, I don't know the whole situation. But he said he watched every pass from the Brown season, and one of the things he said is, "Listen, Baker did not play nearly as well as he did in his first year, but the bad numbers were not just drops. So that's what everybody's focusing on, right? Is like all the drops. Mm-hmm. But what Benoit was saying is, it's also that." a lot of these guys were not running the right route. Mm-hmm. Like, and he called out Najoku by name. Yeah. Like, was constantly running the wrong route. Which actually then, like, not that Freddie Kitchens did a good job, but that kind of, it, it's a little bit like, okay, maybe Freddie wasn't wrong to bench him. Yeah, uh, and, you know, uh, to bring up Jake Burns again, I believe he, I might be wrong on this, but I believe he mentioned that Njoku is a guy who isn't necessarily crisp in his route running to begin with, and he relies on, you know, his size and athleticism, and I, I don't, I'm not sure if he said gets lazy in his route running, but I'm, I'm, I might be paraphrasing, but he doesn't run the crispest routes, and that can cause problems, especially with, you know, I guess some of the shorter, more timing passes. Right, right, no, I agree, I, I, I just, I, I'll, I think maybe getting rid of Njoku helps Baker out. I think any of these guys that were bad route runners. And Benoit, really, I mean, Njoku was one he called out. He called out Odell. But he said Odell was generally amazing. But there was a few times where he just was not running the assigned route. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, like, it was option play, and he Mm -hmm. clicked just the clearly wrong direction to go. Mm -hmm. Um, But all these guys, like, if the idea is to make it, so we really know what Baker is after this year, then you got to get rid of those guys. Anybody who's running the wrong routes, pass route is so, those are, I mean, he's the only real guy we have on the team that is just such a bad dropper that mm-hmm. I'm not really worried about the rest. But if there are guys running the wrong routes, like consistently, mm-hmm. uh, enough where it's happening once to three times a game, they got it. Like, those guys have to go. Yeah. They have and- to go. And I will say, I know, I'm not trying to make an excuse for Odell or Jarvis, but I can tell you right now, I can almost guarantee you there were probably a couple times where they mailed it in because they were on a specific route because they were, you know, they were playing hurt all year. It's not an excuse, I'm right. just, I'm just, you know, pointing out, you know, the fact here. I mean, they were both hurt, and I can tell you right now, if there was, and let's say, an option route where it's, a, you know, a little bit of a comeback instead of, you know, a, a go route or something like that, they probably took the comeback to ease the cell, you know, ease the pressure off their body for a minute, or give themselves a little bit of a break. Right, and I mean, I also know, and you know this too. Everybody knows this. Odell Beckham Jr. is substantially better than the player he showed last season. Yes, he just is. I mean, he is like when it comes to receivers that actually make a serious impact game to game. Mm-hmm. He's one of them. It's like him, Julio Jones. All those guys, right? Like, yeah. and he's one of them. And I, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. I think 
Right. I think you're right. Like he was hurt all year. So he was probably using those comebacks as a way to rest. I think Freddie Kitchens was having him run a lot of vertical routes, mm-hmm. which I mean, that's not what Odell Beckham is good at. Right. No, like not. you use Odell Beckham on like slants because he's such a great route runner and he's so strong that he just gets free. Um, and so I think there's a lot of excuses. I find it hard to believe he and Jarvis will be as poor statistically as they were last season. Like, I just find that hard to believe, even if Baker is the same quarterback, mm-hmm. because I think, like, it just, that was a statistical anomaly. Um, but I, I, right, I, I, I have less of an issue with them doing it than I do with Najoku doing it, right? Because Najoku wasn't hurt. Yeah. Or he was hurt, but it was not like a chronic thing. He's just being lazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the Browns are saying they they don't intend to trade him at this moment in time, that he's still in their plans. Uh, me doing some reading between the lines, I'm like, okay, well, we saw this last year with Duke Johnson. There was a different group of people doing it, but it's a way to artificially inflate someone's value when they have little to none to begin with. So yeah, that's all I see it. It's the same thing that they do. It's the same thing every team does, right? Mm-hmm. Where you say you're not going to trade them, and then you start like leaking about like different plays you're running with, like they'll say three tight end sets, right? And yeah. Njoku's like lighting it up in these three tight end sets. I know they're not going to do much of a preseason, but they are going to like training camp or like training camp ish stuff. Mm-hmm. I I guarantee you, if Njoku's still on the team, they will start running plays from those formations. He'll look good, and they'll say they're not trading him, not trading him, and then they trade him. Um, I also think he's a guy who, if you really can't find a deal for, you basically try to keep him, and if he's going to be a malcontent, then you just cut him. Like, I know it sucks, and it would be, like, a clearly a bad move, but if he's going to be a malcontent, you're better without him. Yeah, I I mean, the way I see it is if you can't find a deal for him... And let's say you get to the, the trade deadline. Uh, he's not really playing. Uh, I mean, you, at that point, you got to be like, did we just cut the dude? Uh, no one's interested in trading for him. Uh, we're not playing right. him. Uh, just just take the cap hit on the, you know, take it on the chin and be like, yeah, picking up that option next year is a huge mistake. Yep. Yep. And I think that would be the sign of a mature regime, right? That. Mm-hmm. What I mean, one mistake we've seen over and over again is regimes unwilling to admit mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so they double down on them. And I think that would be a sign of a mature regime. If they can't find a trade for them, rather than letting them stay on the roster as malcontent, you just cut them. Yeah. Saying, we made a mistake. Uh, we wish David the best. And we are moving on looking forward to the season. Yeah. Well, I they mean, do that. I don't know. I, I don't either. Uh, I would just like to take a little victory lap on everyone on the internet just be like as soon as they uh you know signed hooper and drafted bryant i'm like njoku's days are numbered and everyone's just like no they're not and joku's great then once his trade request came in everyone started saying how he sucks i'm like oh okay that's how it is okay i also just like honestly think bryant is going to be better for that role than joku is like Last time I talked about, there's plays where I thought Njoku would just be amazing on. Mm-hmm. But Bryant's actually a really, really, really good blocker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I think for that second tight end spot, because you're going to have Hooper more being the pass catcher, Yeah, I, I think it's really useful to have a really good blocker. If you had Njoku and Hooper in there, it, they both have to be running routes. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing, inherently. Um, and, I mean, we've talked about it, right? Like, it makes no sense why they kept him. Um, yeah. Why they? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. They have other guys on the roster to fill the tight end three role. You want to roll with Steven Carlson? Let's roll with Steven Carlson as the tight end three. Okay. He's not a bad player. Like he's fine. Steven Carlson's going to have like a weirdly long NFL career. Yeah, he's just going to be like that guy that you know. There'll be like that one week where he catches like a couple touchdowns. You'll know, have three catches for you know two yards and two touchdowns. He'll be like that guy. Then he'll yeah. just coast off into the sunset for that year. Yeah, I mean, he's not fast. He's not particularly strong, but he's a solid route runner, and he knows how to get one block, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be enough just to keep him around. Like, basically, your third tight end is also your tight end coach. Uh, I don't mind Carlson. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think you're right, right? 
that third tight end need not be a first round pick. Yeah, if your former first rounder ends up being your tight end three, uh, it's a complete failure on the first round picks part. Okay, uh, and I think that a lot of people are just afraid to admit that. Now, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Uh, a lot of people get stuck with what a player was supposed to be and not what the player is. They don't. They're like, oh, we came in. He's you know, like I said it before, raw, athletic, physical. At some point, that's got to turn into something, and it's turned into nothing. Right. Right. I agree. I mean, I also just think, to your point again, Browns fans just didn't – they want to love these guys. I mean, mm-hmm. but look at what the Ravens just did, right? They had drafted Hayden Hurst, I think, in the first round a few years ago. Before Lamar Jackson. Hayden, yeah. Mark Andrews showed that he was the better tight end, probably yeah. by far. And rather than being like, okay, well, we're going to keep Hayden Hurst, they were like, we'll trade him. And they got a great deal for him. We're not going to get that for Njoku, but it was a smart move. Mm -hmm. Like, And I hope the Browns follow suit. Again, if you get anything for him, that's smart. That's doing good business. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know what the return for him is going to be. Um, I I think a lot of people have completely outrageous expectations of what they're going to get people are throwing out the ideas like a third round pick. I'm like, mm, that's a little high. Maybe you want to double that three to a six. Uh. <laughs> I actually, yeah, I, I think the Browns are probably going to try to get a linebacker or safety for him mm-hmm. is actually what I think they're going to do. Like if a team has a veteran guy on a one or two year deal and maybe the guy started to decline a little bit, but it's still good. Mm-hmm. That's the type of, I actually could see like in a Joku for a Malik Hooker trade. Yeah. I know Hooker, I'm a, ending his rookie deal but mm-hmm. that to me would be a better like that's a trade that benefits both teams mm-hmm. right the Colts could use the tight end um and, and it just I, I think that's a trade that kind of everybody benefits yeah and that's what I think the Browns ideal world would be I think if they have to go for a draft pick they will take a six mm-hmm. uh obviously later on they'll try to wait it out but I don't think they would take lower than a six-round draft pick. So that's okay, though. Yeah, uh, I think to get anything relatively substantial, you're going to have to attach something to Najoku to get something substantial back. Um, right. And it all depends on how much you're going to give up along with Najoku uh, to get something substantial. I mean, I know it's completely unrealistic, but Field Yates had that trade suggestion of Njoku and a second rounder for Ngakwe. Uh, yeah. Never mind the part of Ngakwe, but it, would you trade Njoku in a second round pick to get like a player of that caliber? I wouldn't for Yannick Ngakwe, but actually, I would for Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah, I would. Okay. I, I would 100% do that because in reality, those types of those guys, like a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, is going to basically more or less be impactful every defensive snap. Mm-hmm. And your second rounder is not going to be that in the first season. Mm-hmm. So you're giving up a second rounder and a guy who's probably not going to be on the team regardless. Mm-hmm. Why? Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm on board. People are like, "Oh, you're giving up a second round pick." I'm like. Njoku stinks, and Ngakwe's good. Uh, the best teams have about a 50% success rate in, in the second round, mm-hmm. uh, and that, that is like the best of the best. Most are closer to 30%. Mm-hmm. Ngakwe is a sure thing for the next few years. Yeah, that, that's what that's the way I look at it. it it's it's proven commodity over uh, a, a dice roll, and uh, let's be honest here, uh, the dice rolls in Cleveland have not been kind Take the proven commodity right. when you can, even though you got to pay a little right. bit more to get it. Yeah, I would be totally fine. Actually, I would be. That would be a deal where. And again, I know you didn't. I really like the draft. I take the draft is a sign of like this regime is like has a plan. I'm not sure what it is, but they clearly have a plan. I feel like that would be another one of those moves where I would be like, "There's they know what they're doing." Mm-hmm. Um, I would feel less so if they have to cut them. Like, just cut Njoku. Yeah. But, like, a trade like that, I would totally be down for. Mm-hmm. Like, sign me up for that. 
Okay. What about like uh, I know that I know the Jets don't need a tight end, but would it say Najoku and a second rounder for Jamal Adams? Yes, any of those guys. A- any I of those would... those type of top tier caliber guys. I would even take a step down below that. Um, okay. Like the I, and I don't really know who's still available, but if they would be a starter that contribute that's consistent, like a consistent starter, I would do that trade. Okay. I'm glad that you know someone else is on board because you know you you go to Twitter and it's oh no Njoku's our guy I'm like no 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 he's not yeah I, I mean <laughs> I, I think like the sign of a mature another mature front office is the Rams right mm-hmm. I mean the Rams basically realized we really messed up the cap situation yep and they did that like around first four or five games last season they realized that. Mm-hmm. And so this offseason, they said, we're going to suck this year. We're going to try not to, but more likely than not, we're not going to be good. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because we're positioning ourselves well for the following season. That's what a mature regime does. Uh, and, and the Browns have to do that. Yeah. They have to do that. They really have to do that. And uh, speaking of potentially sucking this year, um, <laughs> there might not be a preseason. Um I don't know if this counts as an official report, probably not, but it is worth noting that uh, two hours ago, RG3 tweeted, sources say there will be no preseason this year. Now, I don't know if he's the authority on anything, but the fact that the Players Association already unanimously unanimously voted to not have a preseason, and it seems like things are trending in that direction... Um, this could be a problem for the Browns. Yeah, so let me start by saying I think the players are 100% right. I don't think there should be a preseason, and that's yes. for a lot of reasons. I don't usually think there should be a preseason. I think the preseason does more harm than good. Maybe a game, right? Would Like an exhibition game, I would be totally good with, but we don't need a preseason anyways. Mm-hmm. On top of that, COVID, obviously, yes. like the longer, like it, it it's a contributing factor. Mm-hmm. And so I, I totally get it from the player's perspective. I, I don't know how the Browns, I mean, they have enough players that will be comfortable in the system, mm-hmm. but I don't know, for example, how they do something like get Baker prepared to run an outside zone scheme. Yeah. And you got a, a rookie left tackle. You got a, a new right tackle. Um, I Conklin, I'm not worried about because he was in this exact scheme the past like four years. But well, yeah, like Judson Wills, I mean, he'll probably be okay too. I, I'm less worried about those guys. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified about Baker. I don't feel comfortable with Odell or Jarvis just not practicing in this system because it asks its receivers to do sometimes kind of weird things. Um, so I, I think the passing game is going to suck, and I think the defense is just going to be. Uh, I, I mean, I think the defense, no matter kind of what they do, is just going to be terrible. <laughs> I mean, they could have had a normal schedule for the defense. It was going to be bad. Um, but uh, the offense, I'm really concerned. I, I really am. Uh, you can have all the virtual meetings and Zoom meetings, and you can put everything up on telestrators and show video of this is what we want to do. But unless you're actually doing it, you, you really don't understand, and you really can't, like, live it. And, you know, part of the part, I guess a very important part of installing an offense is actually doing it. And if you're not doing it, it that, there's going to be a lot of subtle nuances to it that are just not going to be present early on. Or yeah, if at I, all. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think I'm not worried about the running game because Nick Chubb has been, was in the system in Georgia, at Georgia. Mm-hmm. And last year on outside zone runs was literally the best running back in the NFL by any metric you want to look at yeah. touchdowns, yards, gain, estimated points, added yards per time. He was the best. Yes. Um, and I think that the offensive line all has experience in this system. So I think running will be fine. Yes. You're not asking them to do a lot in the running game, right? Like it's more or less the same play every time. Yeah. I am terrified about the passing game. I, I just terrified. I was terrified of the passing game before assuming that this was going to be a normal uh, off season because, as you are aware, I'm not very high in Baker Mayfield. You seem to, I don't want to say be souring on him, but you're someone who is 
realizing that he's not going to be an elite quarterback or he's not going to even be necessarily above average more often now. He's going to probably fall into that average category. But Baker's someone who... He needs everything to be just right, and the fact that pretty much nothing is just right, I think that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I mean, let me be clear. I don't... I I think Baker the same feeling he's always had um which is it's it's best it like the outlier level i think baker is a fringe top five quarterback at the outlier level okay. i think the other that of the outlier level is a guy that can't stay in the nfl mm-hmm. um i think kind of like his 25th percentile outcome the 75th percentile outcome ranges from a matt ryan type to a career backup, a guy that's a backup for the majority of his career. I think the most likely outcome is a consistently above-average quarterback like a Kirk Cousins. Um, Not much more than that. Can't win you a title on his own. Uh But consistently above-average. I think more likely than not, that's what Baker's going to be. Um, To that end, though, similar to Kirk Cousins, you got to have, like, everything in place, right? Uh Kirk Cousins is great when he has things in place. I think Baker more or less will be too, but we don't know that for sure yet, right? Mm-hmm. Because we haven't seen him in this system. And I don't know that he's going to look good. With, like, he has not run an outside zone scheme before. Like, let's be clear mm-hmm. high school, every college he played at and pro, he has not run an outside zone scheme. And it's a fairly simple scheme but it's going to have passes and reliance on play action that he has never experienced before. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we're going to be in for, you know, like last time we talked, I said, I, I thought the start of the schedule was kind of easy enough that we would be okay. I, 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 right now it seems to me like the teams that have been together for a longer period of time are going to coast this season. Mm-hmm. And the teams like us are just going to be, they're to be lost. Bottom, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I will, I will say that they're in an interesting set of circumstances. They have a new coach. Uh, they have, depending on who you talk to, a certain level of expectations. Um, they're not the only team with a new coach, and, and not the only team that has some level of expectation, but. The only other team that is expected to be good this year with a new coach is Dallas, and they have Mike McCarthy, and that team's been together, and they've all done it before. None of the guys in Cleveland have done it before. And, that's, and I'm not even that's sure that. I'm not even sure Dallas is. I, Dallas is going to be better just because of the amount of talent on that roster. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they will be worse than they would have been sans COVID. Oh yeah, um, I, I, that's uh, I'll agree with that. But uh, you know, you know what I'm saying though is at least they've had people yeah, that are experienced I, in their I, roles. I mean, Kevin Stefanski's yeah, never been yeah. a head coach before. Mike McCarthy's at least right. been a head coach, so he yeah, has at I, least not, some experience to rely yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not wor- more, any more worried about Kevin Stefanski's play calling than I was beforehand because, like, I, I think it's more or less going to be the same. I am worried about the players' ability to adapt to it, um, and that I think. So if you watch the Vikings from last season, mm-hmm. they, they blow out Atlanta in the first game. Mm-hmm. Like, just complete wow. More Again, they ran about 10 plays that game. Uh, from different formations, but they ran 10 plays. And they did that for the first few weeks. Then receivers started complaining, but the players were learning and getting a handle on the system more. And then they expanded the playbook. But that Vikings team had, again, like you said, they'd been together and that defense, like Mike Zimmer, no matter what, is going to have a good defense. Yep. He is the smart defensive coach, absent Bill Belichick in the NFL. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he is. And so we're not going to have that. And I think teams will look at that tape and figure out fairly early on that's what Stefanski's he's going to do here. And they're going to do the same thing they did with the Vikings, right? Stack the box and dare Kirk Cousins to make the right read. Uh-huh. Um, if you dare Baker Mayfield to make the right read, uh, I'm not confident he will. Right? No, me either. I mean, I think that is going to be the big question. And, and in a way, it's good to evaluate Baker like this. Yeah. I think. 
in a way, it's kind of like, let's see, even on fairly basic plays, what he can do. Like, can he read a defense? Is this a receiver problem? Right? Like, that lets you really do it. And I think that's good because now I'm kind of feeling like the team at best is going to be an 8-8 eight eight team. Uh-huh. Um, or at least, again, like the top end of that middle 50. 8-8, uh-huh. eight eight, obviously, there could be outliers, right? And that changes things. I just think those are unlikely. Um, I think more likely than not, you're talking 6 10, 7 9 uh-huh. uh, Maybe even worse, depending on obviously other factors. I think the problem for me is if it gets bad enough, they're going to put Case Keenum in there. That was going to be I my next th- topic of conversation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think that's the plan now right away, but I think the general idea is if Baker just is awful, especially early on when he doesn't know the offense, they'll just put Case Keenum in. And I think Case Keenum raises the floor substantially enough that that team will not just be a 4-12 and team. Like, I, I just, Case Keenum's not great, but he knows how to read a field and he knows where guys are supposed to be. He's a good leader by all accounts. I, I just think he will raise the floor high enough that they're not that terrible. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, what do you think uh, the chances of Case Keenum playing are this year? Because initially I was, I probably would have put it at somewhere around 10%. You know, they're going mm-hmm. to let Baker play. And unless maybe he is just downright awful or he gets hurt, we're not going to see Case Keenum. But the way things are going now and the fact that uh, it seems like there's not going to be preseason, any sort of off-season program is going to be very limited to the amount of hours and days that they can do it, I'm inching closer to 40-50% Case Keenum plays this year. I, I, it's tough for me. It depends how they look, like those first two games. So Baltimore and... Um, Cincinnati. Who's yeah, it depends how Baker looks against those two teams. I I think the advantage we have there is Baltimore's defense. They've been together, mm-hmm. but they've added a lot of new pieces. And I, I think that that there may be an advantage there. I think Cincinnati, the same thing. Like, they're just more or less a brand-new team. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it is possible Baker does not look terrible in either of those games. I think it, against Cincinnati, it's even possible that he looks good. If he does, if he looks terrible in Baltimore and mediocre against Cincinnati, I think Case Keenum probably starts week three. And if that, if the Browns want to give Baker more rope, I think it probably looks similar to the Titans last year, where you end up losing games you know you should win. Mm-hmm. You're two or two and five, and then you make the change. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much where I'm at, really. Uh, They're going to give him all the opportunities to essentially uh, give the job away. Um, Yeah. It's funny. I think it makes more sense to bench him early mm -hmm. because you bench him early, there's a built-in excuse for everybody involved, which is Baker just doesn't know the offense. Yeah. And that means you basically deal with above average case, or not even above average, like very average case Keenum for four or five weeks, five week happens. And then you say, Hey, by the way, we're going back to Baker because now he knows the offense. Yeah. I think is, uh, to me, that is the best option. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably, I think the most likely is they'd more or less give Baker till the bye week. I, I really think the, um, depending how things go and, you know, workouts, practices and, those first, you know, maybe one or two games, if there's a certain uh, level of, I guess, quality, I guess, but just knowledge of the offense, and it's just not there. Uh, Case Keenum knows this offense. He he knows how to how to play in this offense. I I yep. I, I really believe that there's a, a an increasing chance that he plays, and it, it's not in mop up duty. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I I agree. I, I always I I think I was probably at the ten percent you were at mm-hmm. at the same. I'm I, again. I may be higher on Baker, but I think the failure rate is probably give or take the same for both of us. Mm-hmm. I think now I'm just very confused because I don't like we've not seen something like this before, right? No. And because we've not seen something like this, it, to me, it just is so up in the air and I really like I just I can't that's one thing I cannot prognosticate on I just I have no idea Mm -hmm. 
I mean, my, my standard errors for that judgment would be so large that uh, I couldn't confidently say anything. Yeah. It's, I mean, no one knows what's going to happen. I mean, who even knows if they actually even play? Um, the Some very strong they're words coming out of yeah. J.C. Treader. Uh, I, I think and, they're going to play. The, uh, they will, the NFL, the way that cap works, they are going to play. I, they can say they're posturing. Mm-hmm. They're they're not going to have fans in the audience, right? Obviously. And they're, I mean, ideally by like the time playoffs roll around, like if if everything goes right, maybe they have fans in the audience for playoffs. But I even I think that's unlikely. I think it is very unlikely they have it for the season at all. Um, they will. I think they will play sixteen games. What they may do though is they may cut the season by like four games mm-hmm. and give one bye week so your season lasts 13 weeks and you start later I think is probably what the players union is trying to go for and more or less put them in a bubble like the NBA is doing I don't know I, I just I again I, I think it's probably higher than 10 the 10 percent it was before we learned there wasn't going to be a preseason but I don't know if that higher is by 1% or by 30%. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like that a lot of the uh, protocols and safety things that are supposed to be you know, in place for not just the NFL but all sports are not up to par of where they're supposed to be. I mean, overall, I'm just <clears> – <throat> I want sports to happen. I really do. I am just – I'm looking at it from a very broad perspective. I'm like – there's no way any of these sports are going to get off. <laughs> yeah, not in the United States. Um, and I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to make this political, yeah. but I'll leave it at that. Not yeah. in the United States. That's, I, I think that's the fair. only way to do it is, I think the way the NBA is doing it is probably going to be the most effective, where you literally keep players in a bubble, right? They're mm-hmm. not allowed to leave. They're not allowed to be with their family. And when they eat dinner, they can eat from like the team or one of three restaurants yeah. and stick them in that bubble and they stay there until they're out of the playoffs. I, I think that is going to be fine. I think it's harder to do that with the NFL. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's going to be hard to orchestrate. Uh, the NBA yeah. has their own set of uh, obstacles right. that they're currently experiencing. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I, I know. I, I think there will be a season. I don't, necessarily believe the season will be 16 games but i think there will be some sort of season i I could see them even doing six games and you only play your division yeah i i think there will be a season right now however that little that little spark i had back in march when when i had that bad feeling about baseball that's starting to show up about football so i'll just leave it at that um yeah So, is there anything else Browns-related you'd like to discuss? No, I mean, I, I kind of not paying as close enough attention to NFL as I was a few weeks ago because the Premier League's been fun. I like really fun. And so, I've got to been focusing there, but I don't know. I, I'm excited for the NFL. I, no matter what, I'll always be excited for the Browns. I'm excited for the offense. Mm-hmm. Even with everything said, like it's a really fun offense. Uh, just the running is going to be really, really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited for that, and I hope it happens. I, I don't like all the drama. Yeah, and I hope there's. And I so again, I totally get Gracie Treader's point. I agree with it. Yeah, I think he's right. There mm-hmm. needs to be safe precautions. But yeah, I mean that's kind of it. What are your thoughts on like just generally? Like, are you? awaiting the NFL coming back or are you focused on other things? Well, uh, I'm sitting here watching uh, baseball fail every step of the way when it comes back to try, <laughs> trying to come back. Uh, uh, I wrote something about that the other day. Uh, I'm watching NBA and players continually drop out from participating for one reason or another. Same thing with baseball. Uh, I've been I've been watching soccer, uh, you know, watching some Premier League, been watching uh, Serie A over in Italy, because uh, yeah. you know it's on. <laughs> yeah. Really, it, it's on. Uh, so 
you know, outside of that and, you know, playing, you know, sports video games, you know, MLB The Show, FIFA 20, uh, it, it's been just kind of, you know, Groundhog Day for me. Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> um, I feel that. There was one specific line from the J.C. Treader thing that I wanted to. I don't know. If, I don't know if you read. Did you read it? I glanced at it. I did not read it closely. Um, I'm trying to find. There was one. I was listening to the sports radio when I was out doing some running around uh, earlier, and they they keyed out uh, one specific line. And they wanted to get your opinion on okay. uh, that because that's what they were doing on the radio. So I'm stealing your bit, 92.3. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> trying to find it. Sorry. Uh, here we go. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going uh, mid-paragraph here. The NFL was unwilling to follow the Joint Committee's recommendation of a 48-day training camp schedule. Despite these experts' assessment that teams face a serious risk of player injury spikes this year, based on past NFL data and recent findings from sports leagues that have already returned to play this year, the NFL is unwilling to prioritize player safety and believes that the virus will bend to football. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong, but does that necessarily sound like... I, I, I don't want to say that he doesn't want to play. It's it's the fact that he wants to make sure people are, are safe, first and foremost, and not just be like, well, football's supposed to be back, so we're going to play football. It, it sounds like that there's some hesitance. Yeah, I... I think the players union probably has holds the cards here Mm -hmm. Uh, because if the players union doesn't agree to play then no no nfl owners are going to get money yeah and the nfl could do something like say anybody that wants to return can but it's very possible with the nfl players union which is fairly strong within the locker room I think it's very possible that the players just say we're not going to play or the players that are willing to play are going to be guys that feel like they need a job, right? They need to get on a roster. Otherwise they'll be out of the league. Yeah. Uh, so the players hold the, the players will decide this. I think the owners are posturing, but if the players want a eight game season, there will be an eight game season. It's, it, I actually think the same thing about MLB and I know yeah. it looks bad right now, but at the end of the day, these owners got to make money. And there will be, I mean, the NBA got out in front of this, right? The NBA knew that. Yeah. The NBA said, all right, players, what could we do that make, would make you feel comfortable? The players told them, and the NBA said, okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they did. But the NFL and the MLB are going to have to do that. And I think J.C. Treader is right. I think, Listen, I don't. If they don't add that, and JC Treader says he's not going to come to camp, I don't blame him. Yeah, at all. I mean, it sucks for the Browns, but I don't. I don't blame him at all. Like, I think that's probably the right decision on his part. Yeah, and, and to be clear, when he's referring to injury spikes and you know facing risk, it's not just about necessarily the virus. It's about you know guys you know tearing ACLs and Achilles tendons and you know. All those other stuff, because that's generally what happened last time, if you remember, when they had the yep. long layoff. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I I also think a longer training camp is probably a good thing for the Browns. Yeah. I, I do. So, I, as a Browns fan, I would be totally good with a, what did he say, 48-day training camp? Yeah. It, it's a 48-day training yeah. camp schedule. Everything's you know, worked out incrementally, and there's... There was this whole thing on Twitter that I looked at, and I'm like, yep, it's too early to read this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, that would be totally fine with me, especially, like, short practices, so, like, you train in burst. Yeah. I, I, I think that benefits the Browns, because it gives the Browns 48 days, and I know it could be only two hours a day, mm-hmm. but it gives them 48 days to learn an offense, which I think is much better than the regular training camp and no preseason. 
So, yeah, I'm on board. Sign me up. Sign me up. But yeah, that's I mean, it sucks. Like this all sucks. So I think it's just fun to kind of imagine things mm-hmm. and to talk about them because what else do we have? I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it, it. You gotta just you know play the the what if game, or you know you hope that stuff returns. Uh, uh, play video games. You know, it's just <laughs> that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like in a weird way, everybody's saying how much more productive they are, or how much less productive they are. Um, but for my work, so I like do think tank stuff in DC, and also I'm writing a dissertation. I have been substantially more productive since this all started. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just like I always find it like I get why people are less productive. I just have had the opposite effect. Like I've done much more work, or at least I've done work much more efficiently. Um, and then like I can do stuff like during the middle of the day, watch Chelsea almost lose a game to Crystal Powell. Man, they should have lost. <laughs> or at least uh, yeah. at least should have been a draw. <laughs> it is a Chelsea fan. That one was like that, that one was bad. It was just bad. Uh, uh, not, yeah, it was bad. Does not have me brimming with confidence. But well, that's it. Well thanks for being on man. Well uh yeah thanks for coming back on. Always uh Always great talking to you about the Browns. Uh, uh, you know, every once in a while we, we drift off in some other conversations, but mostly Browns related. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you.